0: Christ, um, it's not just to have more head knowledge, (laughs) it's to be overwhelmed by His presence so that we now live in response to how holy, how awesome He truly is. Um, Last week we looked at Christ, today we're going to be turning our attention to the word holy, as you've probably caught by now, but um, holy is a word that we use a lot in church. Uh, God is holy. Uh, We call the Bible the Holy Bible or the Holy Scriptures. As the people of God, we're called to live a holy life that is holy and pleasing to God. Uh, We've been given the Holy Spirit inside of us. As we gather in His presence in the name of Jesus, we're told we are now ushered into the throne room of grace, into the holiness of who God is. But have you ever stopped and wondered what in the world that word actually means? And we sing it holy, 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 we shout it out in songs, we, we, we know it, we read it, but an understanding what it is and what it means can change us. And as we're going to look at this morning, when people come into the presence of the holiness of God or the holiness of Christ, they respond in certain ways that many of us respond the same way here this morning in our day-to-day lives. We're going to be looking at four different passages of Scripture, and before that, that stresses you out, uh, we're only going to get glimpses of those um, because we don't have time, you're just not going to give me the time, to dive into f- these four different passages this morning. But what we're going to see just in these four as we go over the surface of them is there are five ways that we all respond to the holiness of Christ. So if you're one of those who wants to write down or maybe get your fingers in the right spot. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Uh, We're going to make our way to the Gospel of, of Luke, chapter 1, verse 35. Then to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. And we'll finally end up in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Again, in all these passages, these four, we're going to see five different ways that we can respond to holiness and five different ways that Scripture reveals people have responded to the holiness of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ. Um, I grew up, as many of you have kind of figured out, as a preacher's kid, and I grew up in a very traditional Southern Baptist background. Um, And one thing in Southern Baptist lifestyle, if you haven't been in a Southern Baptist church for very long, um, there's a thing called Fifth Sundays that happen about three or four times a year. And Fifth Sundays growing up as a Southern Baptist kid was awesome. Because I had to be at church. If church doors were open, which they almost always were on Sundays, I had to be there. And fifth Sundays, man, you just didn't know what to expect. See, normal fifth Sundays growing up in church, you know, it would be a lot like a Sunday morning service. There would be songs already predetermined that you would sing. And then the pastor would get up and he would teach or preach another message. You'd sing a song of invitation. You'd go home. But fifth Sundays threw it out the window. Because fifth Sundays, what you did is you showed up in a study of having predetermined songs. You yelled out the songs you wanted to sing. I know. Whoa. But you got to understand, this was something I got excited about when my mom said, tonight's the fifth Sunday, we're going to go and, and we're going to pick songs from uh, the people who are in attendance. And so people just start shouting out um, hymn book numbers, hymn number, hymn number, and, and maybe the title. And then we would stand and we would sing and, and we'd sing either all three or four verses and sometimes six and sometimes eight, depending on what kind of hymn book you had um, as a child. I always wanted to shout out the song because I thought that was the coolest thing. I felt like I was being a part of it in some way. And so since I was, I was younger growing up, I'd always sit in the front row with my mom, and uh, she would go and play the piano. And when they said, okay, we're going to start taking songs we want to sing, well, I would always shout out hymn number two. And hymn number two was the song, Hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. In every Baptist hymn book, you can go check this if you want, it is the very first song in every Baptist hymn book. And so I always yelled that one out because one, is the easiest to find. And, and so I could find it quick and I could yell it out before anyone else found whatever number they wanted to get to. I got to go first. You know, that's holiness, right? Um, and so I would yell it out and we would sing it. And as I got older, I enjoyed the song even more because it was easier to sing. I mean, the word's kind of repetitive, and and the first verse and the fourth verse are very similar, and so it's very easy to sing. But now as I become an adult and understand the song, Holy, 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 and what it is capturing from Scripture, that song takes an entirely different uh, meaning. Holy, 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 if you're not familiar with it, we're actually going to sing it before we leave this morning, but it's taken from Isaiah chapter 6, and and you can look at that later, but in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah has been summoned by God into his presence. Now, to be a prophet in the Old Testament means that you're going to be the microphone. You're going to be the spokesperson for God to God's people. You're going to bring his word, a lot like what a preacher would do today. And so, as Isaiah comes into the presence of God, he's given this, this visual of the heavenly beings and the heavenly creatures worshiping God and saying, holy, holy, holy. And in that moment, Isaiah, who is God's spokesperson, comes to reality, I should not be here. I should not be in the presence of God. And instead of, instead of seeing himself as a prophet or a spokesperson of God, instead of seeing other, pers- other people's sinfulness, when Isaiah comes to reality, when he comes into the holy presence of God, he comes to reality of his own sin. And instead of saying, man, it is great to be here, Isaiah's response is, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, I should not be in the holy presence. And he understood that to be in the holy presence of God was to die, because sin could not be in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is also taken from a passage in Revelation in which we encounter the Apostle John, who's taken up to heaven in a vision, and he's given the same sort of vision that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6, and he sees the heavenly creatures worshiping God, holy, 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 and John, who walked with Jesus, who is called the beloved disciple in the Gospels, John doesn't say, wow, you know, I should get to see this. John, we're told, falls down at the feet of the throne as though dead. You see, when we come to an understanding what holiness really is and what it is to sing, holy, 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 and I am holy yours, holy God, when we come to that understanding, it changes everything about us. We don't come in with pride. We don't come saying, look at me and look what I've done or look what family I belong to or look how much money I'm putting in the plate. We come before God and say, God, I am holy yours. Have with me whatever you want to do. It changes our attitude towards God. God Put me wherever you want to put me. I'll change diapers in the nursery. I'll run around with kids on Wednesday Night Live. I'll love on teenagers. Whatever you want to do because you're holy and I am not. I just want to be in your presence. I want to be used by your holiness. When we come to the idea and the reality of holiness, it's not about what we want in worship or how we think worship should go. It changes our entire perspective of worship because we understand this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Him and how awesome He is. It changes our posture in worship. We don't stand simply because everyone else is standing. We may bow down. It may not be an invitation. We come down to the front because we come to the reality, wow, you're holy, and I shouldn't be here. The word holiness in Scripture, oddly enough, is never defined. Yet it's used so many times. God is holy. You have the Holy Spirit. You are now God's holy people. The closest we can come to a definition of holy is when we go into the book of Leviticus. And I know that's incredible reading if you've read Leviticus. But the word is used so often there when it goes to the temple rites. And that things were separated for specific purposes to be used for the worship of God. That's the closest we get to holiness. And what holiness captures is God is not like anything we've ever experienced. Not like anything in this world could offer because he is a holy God. But if if you turn to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, I want us to see one thing that we're all in danger of doing when it comes to the holiness of God little context of what's going on. In Exodus chapter 19, the people of God, the Israelites, they've come out of Egypt. Moses is leading them because God set him apart and used him for this specific task. They finally have made it to Mount Sinai. Hey, they're finally there. This is what God wanted the people to come out of Egypt to do, to worship Him and to bring offerings before Him and to be declared His people and that He would be their God. It was a promise that God was fulfilling going all the way back to Genesis 12. And as they arrive on Mount Sinai, they're awaiting God to, to reveal Himself and He engulfs the mountain. And if you read through the passages there in chapter 19 and 20, it is a display of glory like they have never seen before. Matter of fact, they were so terrified in that moment, they come to Moses and say, why don't you go up and see what he wants? Because they understood we should not be here. And it's at Mount Sinai where God declares in chapter 19, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will set you apart as a holy nation a people to my own possession. And as God delivers the law or what we call the Ten Commandments, and uh, he, He tells the people, this is now how you should live as a holy people, set apart for my work and for my glory. And as His splendor and His glory is going all on the mountain the people in chapter 20, If you look there in verse 18, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. There was fear. Wow. That is a big God. That's nothing like the Egyptians' God. magnificent, and we we shouldn't go close. We should step back. And so they approach Moses. Verse 19, you, you speak to us and we will listen and do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin, and the people stood far off While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was, it's a glorious sight. They came to an understanding of God's awesomeness and His holiness, and the purpose was so they would understand God is unlike any other God, He is set apart, He is holy. And what they were to do with this, this was to set the precedent and why they were to live a certain life to which God was telling them to live. This was to set what they were to teach their children. They were to tell the generations to come. God came on the mountain. He revealed Himself to us. He gave us the law. He showed His magnificence and His glory. But if you're familiar with all of the, New Te- or the Old Testament, what you find out is a danger that we all are capable of falling into is that we can make the holiness of God a routine. See, the Israelites, they were set apart to be God's people, a holy nation, different from all the other peoples of the earth. So when the peoples of the earth would look at them, they would know that God is God, that He is holy. But as time went on, they began doing all the sacrifices, all the offerings, all the temple worship, all the times they would go hear the word of God, they would begin doing it for just the sake of doing it. It's what we call going through the motions. It's routine. And God comes through his prophets and says, I detest these acts of worship you're bringing. Who told you to do this? This trampling of my courts? Because their heart wasn't in it. You see, we can become routine with the holiness of God when we simply come to church and we check in and we check out and we sing when we're supposed to sing and we sit when we're supposed to sit and we stare at this good-looking guy when he's talking, right? Amen? Yeah. yeah. But we can leave and we can not even be changed by being in the presence of a holy God because we've become so accustomed to being here. As we were moving into Stratford, It it was a lot of parental counseling with our kids. Telling them, you know, this is what God wants for us. This is what God has revealed. He has made it abundant and clear that we need to be in Stratford. He's moving us as a family to Stratford. And, you know, our kids, they were scared to death. And let me be honest, we had some of our own nervousness. But it began to be more and more seen as our kids began to start school. You know, it went from a school where they—you almost knew everybody in your class, and everybody knew them, and they knew who their parents were and what their parents did. And you're walking in. I mean, some of y'all have moved, but some of y'all—you've never moved in your life. So you—you just—you can't relate. And walking into a room where everybody knows everybody, and they are staring at you like you're some sort of foreign object. And and our kids got so nervous about that and we spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time in encouraging them and, and it got to the point Abby I mean she got so nervous about it it's actually making her ill to her stomach well as time's gone on I mean I thank you for your prayers continue to pray but you know it's gotten better and, and our kids are making friends and they're getting excited about going to school and and, and they're starting to see Stratford as their home and and, and that's what we're praying for as well and they're becoming familiar, which is a good thing in life, but when we do it in church, it can be horrendous. When we become so familiar with how all this goes on, that we forget we're in the presence of holy, we miss it. We make it routine. And the danger for a lot of us is the danger I have is I grew up in church, I've heard the stories, I've sang the songs. Man, I I have some hymns actually memorized in what number they are always going to be in the hymn book. I know the words without even having to put them on the screen. I, I, I am so accustomed to being and worshiping a holy God that I actually forget on this side of eternity, I'm only getting glimpses because if I came into the full holy presence I would fall down as though dead. Some of us need a reminder that we know very little, so I've asked Ireland and Jackson to come and help us with that.
1: This
0: We just need that reminder that we know so little about the holiness of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ and those times where we may think we're getting it right or we may think we have it all figured out and we are so far away from what God is actually calling us to be that we should never get tired of chasing after Him. Never get to the point where we get bored of of being in awe of Him. I believe churches, not only here, but churches all across America, have lost their capacity to impact this world because we have lost our awe of the holiness of God. He is holy, holy, holy. Worthy to be praised and adored. And what people need to see in this world today is that God's people are impacted by that, and we're in complete awe of Him and who He is. If you, if you have your fingers still tabbed, make your way to Luke chapter 1. I want us to see another way we can respond to the holiness of God, and this is a passage of Scripture that is associated a lot of times uh, with this time of year being Christmas. We can make the, the holiness of God a routine, or we can revere the holiness of Christ. To revere means to be in awe of, to to worship Him. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 31, uh, we are, or verse 31, we're introduced to a woman by the name of Mary. Sorry, in verse 27. And I say woman uh, loosely because it is widely believed Mary's probably about the age of 12 to 16. Um, We don't usually picture that in our Christmas stories. But that was the Jewish custom when a girl would get married. The reason they would marry so young is so that they could have lots of babies. And so Mary is probably 12 to 16, while Joseph was probably about the age of 30. Well, Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and she is set to be married, which is a righteous thing to do in the Jewish society. But Lo and behold, an angel of the Lord appears to Mary and tells Mary that she is going to have a little baby and that she's going to carry the Son of God. Now, we read this, and we read the Christmas story, but to show you how accustomed we can be to the Christmas story, we read it like, oh, that's such a beautiful story. I love the story of Christmas. I love the story of of Mary uh, becoming pregnant and carrying baby Jesus and bringing him into the world. But you need to understand, this was going to change Mary's world. It was going to change it upside down, which is probably why she went to go visit her relative Elizabeth, is to get away from the public ridicule and the public shame. We don't read that in the Christmas story, though, do we? Everyone's happy. No, I guarantee you there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of worries, and there was a lot of concern because all Mary had to do is she could go to Joseph and say, look, hey, Joe, um, I'm pregnant, and I, I didn't have sex, by the way. That happens all the time, right? But the Spirit of God came upon me. Now, fathers, if your daughter came to you and said that, would you believe them? Oh, sure, sweetie, yeah, yeah. No, it made no sense. This is Mary's only excuse or reason to why she was pregnant. And it's the, the Lord or the angel of the Lord told Mary, you're going to be with child. Mary has questions, how can this be? See, Mary was a realist. She understood the way things work. She had never been with the man. She understood that it didn't happen that way. And the Spirit of the Lord, or the Lord speaks to Mary in verse 35 and says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And even though Mary didn't understand it, even though it was going to turn her world upside down, it was going to change everything about her, her family structure, her friends, it was going to put her in a position where she would be seen as an adulteress. The Son of God was, the mother Son of God was going to see him as an adulteress. And by law, she could be stoned to death. This is what Joseph was contemplating. How to deal with Mary? Do I do it privately and quietly? Or do I take her out into public shame and have her stoned to death? And he was full right to do it either way. In the midst of this, Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, sometimes called her cousin, and all this stuff swirling around in her head. Is Joseph going to stay with me? Is the man of my dreams, am I going to be with him forever? Are we going to have a family? Are we going to raise kids? All my life is just churned upside down. And as she goes to visit Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's tummy jumps, which is John the Baptist. And they have this moment where I just picture these, these ladies giggling together. You know how ladies giggle, right? I won't do it. But anyway, in that response, Mary comes to full realization of who she is carrying. This is the holy. One of God. And what it meant is, is for him to be holy, because holy means separate. God is holy. It was a statement that now God was no longer going to separate himself, but he was going to come in the form of, the, of a boy, in the form of flesh and man, and he was going to walk among men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean separation no more. That this this was going to be filled by the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And Mary, I don't know if she fully understood all of it, but she exclaims in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Christmas is the celebration of holy. That even though God is holy and separate, and will never fully understand or grasp it, He sent His holy Son to save us. Holy saved the unholy. As we, you ready to come to the table? This is what we're called to remember. Holiness stepped out of the holy heavens. And walked among us and died an unholy death for you and for me. His blood, which is symbolized by the juice, was spilled out. His body, which is symbolized by the bread, was, was broken. Also, that we could be forgiven for our unholiness and by our faith in him and him alone could be declared holy. Even though we're not before a holy God. That's something to be in awe of. God loves me that much that He would take that big of a chance on me, and sometimes despite myself, because even on my best day, I'm never going to be as holy as I should be. Another way we can respond to holiness is you want to make your way to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 is that we can reject the holiness of Christ. And this is the battle that is going on in this room right now, is that God calls us into holiness, and He reveals things in our life that needs to change. And in this moment, we have this battle where we can respond to it in the proper way, or we can reject it. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he's just left Nazareth because they don't want anything to do with him. Matter of fact, they say, well, isn't this Joseph's son? And so he leaves, and he makes his way to Capernaum. Capernaum in the Gospels is going to be Jesus' kind of base of operations. And as he's there, he begins teaching in the synagogue. A synagogue is basically a place where Jewish people, the Lord's people, can gather and assemble. They hear the word of the Lord. They have some instruction. They have some time of fellowship. There's not a place where they offer sacrifices or offerings. But they're simply to be in the presence of God to receive instruction on how they should be living a holy life in the world in which they find themselves. Well, in verse 21, it says, And they, and this is Jesus and a couple of his disciples at this point in time, they went to Capernaum, and immediately at the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they, this is now the people who are hearing Jesus do the teaching, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now the scribes, by the way, these were the regular teachers. These were the people you would show up to at Sabbath, and they would be the ones teaching the law predominantly. And so as Jesus is teaching, they say, wow, this guy has authority. Not compared to the guys we normally listen to. What gave Jesus the authority? He was the son of God, yes, but it was his holiness. See, if we want to amaze the world with the power and love of God, the world has to see the holiness of God in us have to see that authority is living inside of us. That's what the scripture calls us bearing fruit. Well as he begins teaching they become astonished and immediately there was in their synagogue a man who with an unclean spirit, what that means is an evil spirit, it means he was demon possessed and he cried out, this man or actually the spirit inside of him, the evil one what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And that question that he poses or that accusation in verse 24 can better be read. We have nothing in common. We don't want you. What do you want with us? The statement from the evil spirit inside of him is, I want nothing to do with you. And just as the people did in Nazareth, and just as the Spirit is doing right now and manifesting, he was rejecting the Holy One of God. As we come into the presence of a holy God, this is exactly what is happening in every single individual's heart and mind right here in this moment. That God is calling us to live a holy life, a life that is different from the world, and we have to make a decision, a choice, which God gives us. Am I going to accept God's call to be holy, or am I going to reject it? because I come to this understanding that I have nothing in common as God's child with the ways of the world. And the only way we can accept God's call to be holy is we have to come to an understanding that God is in control and we are not. He is God. And the wrestling match we have right now in this place is who is actually going to be God of our life. Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be holy, holy, holy? The demon wanted nothing to do with Jesus and he rejected him just like the people in Nazareth. But there's two more ways I want us to see how we can respond to holiness. Jump with me to John chapter 6. Because after you reject holiness, the only proper response once you reject the call of holiness is you remove yourself from holiness that means you begin to live an unholy lifestyle. You begin to find yourself in sin over and over again, and you become accustomed to that. It becomes your routine, your habit. When John chapter 6, Jesus is just completed what is one of His probably most famous miracles, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. You know, He took some, some loaves and some fish and fed the multitudes. And it was more than 5,000, because actually Scripture is pretty clear, 5,000 men, that wasn't counting the women and children that were there. And he feeds them all, and they're all amazed, as we would too, right? Well, they get so amazed that they want to make Jesus king. See, they see him as the Messiah, the one they've been hearing about, that we talked about last week, as the Christ. But Jesus knows it is not his time, so what he does in order to protect his disciples, he tells them, once you go across the sea, and that's the Sea of Galilee, they're going to head back to Capernaum. Once you go there, I will meet you there. I need to dismiss the crowds. And so he dismisses the crowds. You read through John chapter 6. He eventually goes up to the mountain, spends some time in prayer, and then he takes his casual stroll across the water. I mean, scares his disciples half to death. Ah, ghost! I mean, just total freak-out moment. Well, he gets in the boat. They understand, okay, you are are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy Son of God, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And as they arrive on the other side of the shore in Capernaum, the crowds have begun to amass themselves again because where Jesus went, crowds went. And they understand, wait a second, he didn't get into the boats, and yet he's here on the other side. How did he do that? That slowly fades away. Because they're hungry. Hey, Jesus, why don't you do one of those cool miracles again? we really like some food again. Why don't, you, why don't you do that thing you did over there? Do that again. And Jesus being Jesus sees a need to give them understanding. And so he takes the conversation from a miraculous physical food to a miraculous spiritual food. And he began talking about how he is the bread of life. And how if anyone were to take of his body and eat it and his blood and drink it, that they would be saved and be given eternal life. This is what he's pointing to this. He's pointing to his sacrifice and why he came. As they hear Jesus teaching this in John chapter 6, The crowds are no longer infatuated with Jesus. Now, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. And you see one of the saddest verses in Scripture in John chapter 6 and verse 66. And it says, get the right page. After this, this is after his teaching of him being the bread of life, many of his disciples turned back No longer walked with him. They were physically with the Son of God. They physically heard him speak, laugh, cry, saw him pray. They physically witnessed the miracles. And yet, when they come to understand that the only way to heaven, the only way into eternal life is to take of the bread and the cup because it is a statement of faith. I believe Jesus died for me, holy died for the unholy. He was put in a grave and he came out of the tomb that I might be saved. It is placing all my faith in that for my salvation. When they came to understand, it was not by anything they could bring to the table, but everything God brought to the table, you know what they did? They rejected it. They removed themselves from it. Many people come to church, and this is exactly what they do. Every single time the holiness of God manifests itself into our hearts and our minds, and we come to a reality, wow, oh, I'm such a mess. Like how Jenna placed it on, I'm a self-professed mess. Amen. I am. Because I come to this reality of holiness of God that I don't deserve to do what I'm doing. But when God reveals things in my life that need to change, what I can do is I can reject it and remove myself from that because that's easier, isn't it? I don't have to deal with that if I just ignore it. The problem is if the Holy Spirit's inside me, and truly inside me, I'm going to continue to come to conviction to the point that I'm not living in joy, I'm living in utter turmoil. I found it interesting that it is. John chapter 6, verse 66. 666. Because six, six. this is what exactly Satan does and what he wants you to do: to remove yourself from the presence of God and the holiness of God and the love of God and become your own God. Worship yourself, believe the lie that you're actually in control. Jesus, seeing this, again, sees a moment. And he turns to the twelve, and he asks them, verse 6-7, do you want to go away as well? He's basically giving them the opportunity. Look, I understand my teaching is tough. It is hard to be a follower of mine. I get that. And if you want to leave, now's your chance. But Peter, you've got to love Peter. Just kind of says, and every now and then Peter gets it right. <laughs> but every now and then he says something where Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he's got to. But Peter, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the what? <laughs> Holy One of God. Peter decides where we have to decide right now. Are we going to remain? And the holiness. And God gives us a choice. But the choice is an understanding that I've got nowhere else to be than right here. I've got nothing better to be doing than what I'm doing right here in this moment. And let me just step on some toes for a moment. In America, this is a very hard thing. We got things to do. And we got places to be. And lunch will be ready at noon. When are we, as God's people, going to decide that, you know what? This is where I need to be. And nothing in this world can bring me the satisfaction that I'm feeling right now in the presence of God. We get so bombarded with our schedules and the things we think we need to get done and when we need to get done and who we need to see and what we need to take care of that let's just admit there's some of y'all in this room right now as we've even opened the Word of God, you've already gone to those places. And you've allowed Satan to do exactly what Jesus said he's going to do, kill, steal, and destroy you. See, the Israelites became so accustomed to being in church, so accustomed to being in the holiness of God that they completely forgot they were to be different, live differently, look differently, worship differently. Where has your heart been? Who or what have you been worshiping? Is this where you want to be? you desire to be in the presence? I know God has some great things here. But before great things can happen here at Harvest Hill, God's going to have to tune our hearts back to Him. Because God's name will not be ridiculed or mocked. So we've got to start asking ourselves, are we people who are so focused on pursuing after holiness that that's all we're known about? Are we so set apart from the world that that's all people see? So I ask the question that Jesus asked. Do you want to go away as well? And in this moment, you've got to make a decision, Okay. I can get on board and I can see some incredible things that God has in store here or I can go and I can find a bigger church and I can blend in with the crowd and go about my life. But can you imagine if Peter or any of the other 12 left? Can you imagine what they would have missed? Maybe you're here this morning and you've come to reality, wow, wow, I'm a self-professed mess too. And I need Jesus. I understand why Christmas. I understand why this table. I understand why we sing on Sundays. I understand why we come to church on Sundays. And I understand right now in this moment in the holiness of God that I have not been living holy and neither have I accepted God's holy son in my life and I need to be saved. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it very simple and clear. First, I have to admit that I'm a mess. I am an unholy mess. I have sin in my life and things I shouldn't be doing. But because God loves me, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me. Take my sins upon himself. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose that I might be forgiven. And when I believe that God loves me that much, and this is what Christmas is about, is God coming to save me. The Bible says I need to confess it. What confession is in the Bible is mean I need to make it publicly known. So here in a moment, I'm going to stand down here. And that's your opportunity. Will you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you're here this morning. You've already done that, but you've made this all routine. You've been going through the motions, and you know it. Let me be honest with you. I get in that funk every now and then as well. Okay, but God has really revealed it to you today that, that something needs to stop. Maybe you need to pray with someone. We have some elders down here and deacons. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father. But however God is speaking to your heart, now is the time where you're going to answer Jesus' question. Are you going to leave as well? Or are you going to stay? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing Holy, Holy, Holy. Good old hymn, hymn number two. But I invite you to respond as God has laid upon your heart. Let's stand as we sing.